Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love if you would help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Guys, I can't wait for you to meet my guest today, Nancy Murphy. She is the founder and president of CSR Communications and the creator of Entrepreneurs Influence Lab. Her passion is helping leaders of change within established organizations influence and persuade others so that they can realize the vision for change faster and with less friction. Welcome to the podcast, Nancy. Oh, Natalie, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I know that our guests, the first thing that has to be going through their mind is what is an entrepreneur and how is it different than an entrepreneur? Great question. Lots of people ask that. So in many ways, they're similar, similar mindsets, innovation, risk taking. They learn from their mistakes. They're always trying to improve the world around them. But for intrapreneurs, they're doing that inside of large, established legacy organizations or systems, rather than taking those skills and that mindset outside of an organization and kind of trying to disrupt things from the outside, they're doing it from within. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that, you know, there's probably some people listening and saying, well, man, I'm trying to disrupt things from within, but I kind of starting to feel like the troublemaker in the room because everybody else seems fine to kind of dance to the corporate jump beat. So what would you say to that person that has an entrepreneurial spirit, but they're inside of a pretty large organization, but they need to, and they see things that could change that would help give them a competitive advantage? Well, first of all, yippee, congratulations. You're the unsung heroes of organizational change. So I know it feels like you're probably beating your head against the wall and you want to be seen as the problem solver you are rather than the troublemaker whose colleagues hide from them in the hallway because they're sick of you being the broken record, always telling them they need to do things differently. Does that sound familiar, Natalie? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So first of all, congratulations. We need more of you in the world. And secondly, you're not alone and it doesn't have to be this hard. So let's start with the why do we need more of you in the world? Because entrepreneurs who aim to change the world, you know, we tend to, particularly in the U.S., we have this, you know, glorification and mythology around the entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and, you know, Jeff Bezos, and they become not only wealthy, but they scale their businesses. And in some ways, it seems like they do it quickly, but oftentimes (laughs) it's been decades in the making. And that can be great. But for many entrepreneurs, especially those kind of social entrepreneurs who are trying to make the world a better place through their initiative or their enterprise, their impact is small at first, and it may never grow. But what if we could leverage the scope, the scale, the resources, the reach, the financial stability, the talent, the expertise of these large organizations that are already there, what if we could just get them 
to operate more innovatively with more respect and embracing of diversity and inclusion with better equity, more environmental sustainability and social responsibility. If we could do that, we are going to get the world we want much faster. I love that. So, you know, I think about early in my career when there were times when I really had a great idea, or at least I thought it was a great idea, but I really wanted to figure out how to get an audience with someone who would listen to that idea and how do I actually affect the change that I see if we make this change will grow by leaps and bounds. And so and sometimes it just felt frustrating of how was I going to have that conversation and how was I going to break through to the right people? What would you suggest to someone that is... They have an idea. They have a heart to see something major change in the organization. You know, sometimes they have a million dollar idea that they just can't get to go anywhere. What would you say to those people? Well, I mean, first of all, this is a process. So I think, and it's not always for the faint of heart. So just like with entrepreneurs, we have to be a little thick skinned and probably willing to be told our idea is silly or stupid or not going to work more than once and get back up and say it again. Right. So I think that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing though, is let me just give you something super practical. Doesn't cost a dime. (laughs) It can be very Mm -hmm. easy to do that can help the conversation maybe start off on a better foot and maybe shortcut some of that frustration or the time it takes to get people to pay attention to your idea. And that's that most of the time we start those kinds of conversations with, here's my idea and here's what I need you to do about it, right? It's Mm -hmm. all about us, me, 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 because we think we've got a great idea and it probably is great. But what if instead we start by asking, how can I help you get what you need? And sometimes that's literally asking that, but most of the time it's really paying super close attention And trying to see the world from your boss's perspective, the board's perspective, the CFO's perspective, whoever it is you're trying to influence, what is driving them? What's making them anxious? What's their biggest desire? What are they held accountable for? And how can you start the conversation with offering something that will help them get what they need or positioning your idea as something that will help them get what they need. It just immediately sort of diffuses that pushback and that tension. That's so good because I think if a leader thinks that you're coming into the organization or the office just pushing your own agenda, it can feel like a turnoff. And I think they don't know if they can trust you, but if you can you know, show them how what you're asking to do helps them or helps the organization. I love that, that just switch of language and switch of thought process. And I was even thinking about a time when there's a story I tell in the podcast where I was working in my dream job. I was doing international product development. And then, you know, remember the old, good old 2008, 2009 crash that we all experienced? (laughs) Yeah. I got shifted to a team that where I felt like they were utilizing like a fraction of my brain space and power. And I was just getting thrown little weird and random projects here and there. And I remember how frustrated I was. I actually went on to some random coaching call and the person just started asking me these questions that no one had ever asked me before. And it opened up my mind in such a way that I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I went back and started studying the data of the company. 
And I said, this is an $18 million area that nobody cares for. And I put together a proposal, marched into the CTO's office and said, here's what I want to work on. And he actually said, I'll do you one better. I have something even better I'd like you to work on that's even bigger than that $18 million. And so what was so cool about that moment was it's like what you're telling us today, which is shift your thinking, shift your perspective, shift the way you think and think about the bigger organization. And so that's what was happening before. I was just, it was about me the first time around. I was like, I want to work on something more interesting. I'm bored. I don't like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and when I, by, you know, from that place to when I walked into his office, it was, I see what the organization could be a full focus. I see what we could be working on. I see an area where nobody is looking at it. And so it was really about the potential of the area, not my own personal potential. So I kind of made that shift from pushing my own agenda to pushing what could the agenda of the company be if we focused here. Yeah, you know, Natalie, the other thing I would sort of pull out from the example you just shared, and I love that story, is you focused on the one thing you can control, which mm. is your own research, right? Your own positioning, your own, like you took something that seemed out of your control. I can't get people to give me opportunities. And instead, right. you took control over creating the opportunity. So we oftentimes spend so much energy on those things that are completely outside of our control. And we forget that there's usually at least one thing right in front of us that we can control. I love that. And I would say that if there's anyone listening right now that's thinking, you know, I'm beating my head against the wall in an area. I love what you just said, Nancy, which is what's the one thing that you can control right now in that situation. And if you're thinking nothing, then I would encourage you, I push you to just broaden your perspective on this because there's gotta be something in this narrative, right? That you can control. And that to me could be the very fulcrum point of you getting what you need to get in your career. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about, maybe that scenario went a little bit differently, right? Maybe I walked in, marched in, and the leader was resistant to change still. Talk to me a little bit about how we can work with leaders who just seem overly resistant to change. So first of all, let me say that in my experience, there are three common types of resistance to change. And so maybe it would be helpful for me to give just a quick description of each one and one thing that folks can do to address or overcome that resistance. And before I even do that, let me just say that, so the one thing you can control when it comes to resistance is how you view resistance. So mm. <laughs> not all resistance is bad. Actually, especially if it's overt resistance versus covert resistance, it's a really great thing because just like in sports, you know, if you think of the track athletes or the football players, or when we go to the gym, we lift weights, we use resistance intentionally to make us stronger, right? We wow. might run with that parachute thing attached to our back so that when it's not there, we can go even faster. So resistance makes our ideas stronger. It illuminates our blind spots. If we can start to see resistance as a gift, what is this teaching me about how I could make my pitch more effective? What is this teaching me about a blind spot I had where I didn't understand the company financials and where a better opportunity might be, right? So first of all, we can flip our mindsets about resistance, view it as a positive. Then 
if we look at the three common types of resistance and what we can do, one is the what ifers. So these are, you know, for those of you who know the Winnie the Pooh story, like the Eeyore, right? The sky is falling. Everything is doom and gloom. They immediately go to whatever you idea you bring to the table. They immediately go to the doomsday scenario, the worst possible thing that might happen if we even thought about doing that, right? Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) We've all got these people in our organizations. They're oftentimes the general counsel, you know? (laughs) CFO. I I love these people, though. Why? Because I tend to, and I'm guessing this is true for many listeners, Natalie, is that I tend to be maybe overly optimistic about my idea or about the potential upside of change. And so I need the what ifers to prevent me from taking unnecessary risk or from Mm -hmm. taking a risk with a huge blind spot that would be easily mitigated, right? If we just shine some light on it. So what we can do for the what ifers is play to their strength invite them to do scenario planning with us. Oh, you're right, Natalie. Gosh, I didn't even think of that. So how about if you put together a team and you sort of imagined all the absolute worst things that could happen, how likely they are to happen, and okay, maybe they're 50% likely. So even if they did happen, what would we do about it? Or what could we do now to make Mm -hmm. that impact less? Right. So those what ifers play to their strength, invite them to dream the doomsday scenarios. The second type of common resistance to change are the status quo defenders. So, Mm. you know, we've all got these folks in our organizations, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the classic (laughs) mantra of the status quo defenders. When we take that other perspective, though, like we talked about at the beginning of our chat here, we could see where perhaps those folks were involved in creating the status quo and therefore their identity might be really closely tied to it, right? Wow, wow. So we want to be careful of the psychology there. We're criticizing the way things are currently done or the current system or setup or process. And they're like, oh my God, you're criticizing me. Mm, That's really good. So we want to be careful. This is, you know, things are pretty good but they could be even better. Or what if, what could be possible if we just tweaked, right? And then Mm -hmm. you can invite these folks to, with some clear, you know, criteria and guidelines, invite them to identify those things about the status quo that we want to preserve and protect as we move forward. Mm, That's so good. And then the third type of resistance to change are what I call the yes knowers, right? These are the people who are like, they sit in the team meeting and they're shaking their head. Yeah, they're not. Mm-hmm. And they're all on board or they're sitting in your office. And they're like, this is a great idea, Natalie. We should totally do this. I'm with you. They walk out the door. They do the complete opposite. Yes. <laughs> it's so frustrating, right? <laughs> and there's actually four subtypes of this one. I won't go into them all, but What we want to do here is distinguish whether that yes and then no is due to a lack of will or a lack of way, right? So is it they just don't want to do it? And for one example of that are the stallers, 
right? They're just going to wait you out. You're going to get frustrated of beating your head against the wall. You're going to give up on this crazy idea or you're going to leave altogether. I've been here before you got here. I'm going to be here after you got here. I'm just going to wait you out. Wow. Or is it a lack of way, meaning they really want to do what it is you're asking them to do, but maybe they don't have the skills or the training or the expertise, right? Like, and you don't realize that. So how do you make it okay for them to articulate what it is they might need to adopt a new way of working or pursue this new product or service area? That's so good. And understanding which bucket people fall into helps us to connect with them in a more authentic way so that we can actually peel the layer back and have that full dialogue. And I just love that because I sometimes see that all over organizations where you're dealing with one of those three and how it just makes you feel like the entire organization is jaded. But it's to your point, what's behind that? What's behind the wall? What's behind the no? And I just love how you went into that. So I would love to talk a little bit about this entrepreneur influence lab that you have. I would love to hear what it is, how it came about, and how our listeners might be able to connect into it. Yeah, thanks for asking, Natalie. So the Entrepreneur's Influence Lab is kind of my baby in many ways. So <laughs> I launched it in 2018 as the kind of culmination of probably all my life of being an entrepreneur in one way or another and the lessons that I learned along the way, you know, everything from <laughs> failing to enroll some really effective champions on my behalf when I was trying to advocate for some more modern attitudes about girls and women in my Catholic school to you know, my first job out of college where I was invited to give a speech kind of persuading business leaders to support youth volunteerism in a partnership with the schools. And I spent the entire speech being the, you know, explainer in chief and all this data and sort of rambling. And I didn't tell any good stories. Right. So I sort of and then being inside large organizations and beating my head against the wall and walking out the door probably three months before I was going to hit the tipping point of the change I was leading. Right. But I just I didn't have the patience. I didn't have the skills. So I took all the lessons that I learned the hard way, the solutions that I came up with. So many of the folks that were coming to me in my business and asking for help were those entrepreneurs. And I saw the struggles that they were having and, you know, gave them some tips and tools that were actually starting to unlock things for them. And I thought, you know what, this needs to be available to more people. Because as I started out the beginning saying to all your listeners, we need people like you in the world. And more importantly, we need you to succeed. We need you to not give up when you're a couple months from the tipping point of getting your organization moving in the direction that we all need and want for the world that we want. And so I created the Entrepreneur's Influence Lab to bring together those lessons and create a community, a space where you can 
connect with fellow entrepreneurs. You can share your struggles. You can get, you know, everything I do. I hope you've gotten the sense of this in our conversation today. Everything I do might take theory and research around psychology, anthropology, sociology, (laughs) marketing, you know, all of that effective communication, but it's all meant to be practical, applicable. What can you take away from this conversation or from one week of curriculum in the lab that is immediately applicable to the problem of the hour? And so that's what this lab is designed to do over the course of six months, walk people through the key components of how to be a credible leader of change, how to overcome resistance, how to communicate more effectively, how to map the influence and power centers in your organization, how to manage transitions once you're in the middle of change. And so really, like I said, it's my baby. It's one of the things I'm super proud of. And we've got a new cohort and we're pulling together, recruiting for folks to join that right now. It will start in the fall and leaders really from all different environments, government, philanthropy, the private sector. And it's amazing how even though those environments are all different, there's more similarity than you would think when it comes to leading change inside those organizations. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think people would be surprised how much overlap there is. Well, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I just would echo what I've said earlier, which is if you are an entrepreneur, you're the unsung hero of change in your organization. And, you know, we can't even realize that we're stuck in a box, let alone (laughs) think outside the box, break the box, set it on fire. Like we won't even know we're in a box (laughs) without you. So we need you to point out the box. The world needs your spirit, your leadership, and your courage inside your organization if we're going to create the world we want. So please don't give up, even though it feels hard, even though it feels like you're beating your head against the wall. Instead, I would say, let's chat. You know, please connect with me. Please sign up for our free weekly newsletter where you can get a tip, a tool, a link to one of my podcasts where you can get more great nuggets like this. So I want to help you succeed and you don't have to go it alone. So Nancy, would you tell everyone where to follow you and then also tell them the name of your podcast so they can listen in? Yes. So by podcast, I mean my interviews with fabulous hosts like you. So you can get links to those in my weekly newsletter to all my guest appearances And you can sign up at csrcommunications.com or follow me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of great nuggets, tips, and tools on LinkedIn as well. I love it. I hope you guys will avail yourself to these amazing resources that Nancy is offering and maybe even consider being a part of that cohort. Because if this conversation resonated with you, then that might be something that gives you a little bit of a glimmer of hope that, hey, I can get the tools, the resources I need to figure out how to affect change. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. And as Nancy said, remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.